We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse Sound Unsights TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? No time for pleasantries. No time. Let's move on. It's a f- we have no time. It is a full week of TV, and... There's a lot of really good stuff that we want to talk about, so we're just... And we have a long shelf. And the long shelf, lots to talk about Nero Wolf, which is a fabulous uh, detective series from 2000, I think 2001, and so we had Tyler Smith from Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson on to uh, help us talk about that, and that's coming at the end of the show, but uh, we have a full show before then. I'm just going to briefly go through a a couple notes at the top. First of all, uh, I was a guest on the TV Times 3 podcast uh, this past week on, I think the last episode came out on Thursday, so thank you to Jason the TV Holic and Amory from My Take on TV for that. I had a lot of fun talking with them, so if you want even more discussion of some of the shows that we talk about here, but also some different shows, and we talked to some Olympics and some other stuff like that, you can check that out, TV Times 3 uh, podcast, if you just Google it, it should come up. Also, uh, I have an article up at Sound on Sight, uh, Seven Factoids You May Not Know About the Olympics and American TV. That was fun. So that, that one's up. I don't know what I'm writing about this week, but I'm sure I'll come up with something. Um, we heard from Dan, who left us a comment on one of our older shows, who is glad we like alphas, wants us to check out Where I Was 13, and very much enjoyed our coupling discussion, even though he hasn't seen it. He needs to watch coupling, right? Yes. Also, T and RLM is a he named Shannon. So All I, right. I can now stop calling you a bunch of initials, Shannon. Thank you for letting us know. Nice to hear from you, and I look forward to talking with you in the future. Also, as I'm just I'm going really fast because we got to get to our week. Um, uh, we got a new rating in iTunes. Uh, we are still five stars, so I assume they, they like us. So thank you very much, random person. Uh, Simon, you guys can't hear this, of course, but Simon was doing a little fist of victory and a big grin over there. I was actually doing the devil horns. You can't really see it because the sunlight is in the way. Yeah, rock, rock and roll. Um, let's see. We are looking for contributors. The fall TV season is starting up already. Um, it'll get into full gear really in September. But if you're interested in reviewing TV for Sound on Sight, drop us an email, the televerse at gmail.com, or hit me up on, on Twitter. Uh, we are definitely looking for contributors. And there's a lot of, of popular shows that are up for grabs. For example, American Horror Story. Our, our, our guy covering American Horror Story last year has started med school. So he can't do reviews anymore. <laughs> so we're looking for somebody to cover American Horror Story, um, as well as many others. And then the last thing I'm going to say is, you're going to watch Doctor Who. Uh, am I? Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that I said? That is something you said. Uh, yeah. For our, I mean, this is the 50th episode, which I guess some people think is special. But because we're wonks or something, we're doing a 50-second episode spectacular. So 
I we were trying to think of something special to do, and I thought, what would make Kate happy? And I thought, uh, there's only one answer to that question. So, so uh, we decided we could make each other watch stuff, and the only good option I could think of for you was um, ESPN's Thirty for Thirty series, which uh, I thought was fantastic. So you're going to be watching some of that, and uh, yes, yeah. You, I mean, it's really unfair. You're going to be watching good things, and I'm going to be watching Doctor Who. But you know, that's life. You know, what? and I, I'm not even going to rise to the bait because I'm just so excited. So, uh, so if you want to give me some advice on what episodes to make Simon watch, I think I have a good idea, but you have he hasn't started watching it, so it still could change. So drop me a line. We're gonna I'm gonna do one story from each modern Doctor. So feel free to help me conspire on how to turn Simon into unwill an unwilling Hoovian, much as we turned him into a Buffy fan. Uh, not, I, I think I'm showing my evil hand perhaps a bit too much, but, uh, yes, you are. Yeah. So let's move on and let's start our week in TV. It's a full week. Um, we're going to dive in with go on, which premiered after the Olympics on, on Wednesday last week. And this is the pilot. This is the new Matthew Perry show. And, uh, he plays a sportscaster whose wife has recently died and he is forced into counseling or group therapy uh, by his boss the this show has a good cast um matthew perry is good I, I enjoy him um actually i think i might even like him better as a dramatic actor than a comedic actor but i i'm a big fan of his uh john cho is in this brett gelman is one of the highlights <laughs> i love him on it, Eagle Heart. Wait a minute. W- w- one of the highlights Arguably the only highlight, if you ask me. Oh, yeah, pretty, okay, the highlight, pretty much. Yeah. But he's hilarious in this. I mean, the thing with him is, like, watching Brett Gelman just react to stuff is way more interesting than the rest of the show, to me. The biggest problem with the show, I think, is that the the clear setup of the, the couple, capital T, capital C, that's going to be happening down the line, is just sloppy and, and not good. Um, it has a very community vibe. I think, um, so I'm hoping that they embrace that and get away from relationship things like they seem to want to build towards, which is kind of gross seeing as his wife just died, the main character's wife just died, um, and focus on yeah. their strong supporting cast. Uh, what, what did you yeah. think? No, you're, you're right on the money. It was the, it's the grossness of the romantic coupling that most bothered me. Um, I, I wasn't as bothered by the main character as some people were, because I just think we've seen way worse this season. I, I find it funny that you find a community-like, because I think that's way more true of the other pilot we got this week, especially since that was actually directed by the Russo brothers. Um, but, yeah, I... And then the and the and and the ending pathos was just so unearned and corny and didn't work, and yeah, I'll... I'm not going to be watching this again. I think that Yes, yeah, the thing. It, it's not great, but I do think that there's potential there, and I do think we saw it's a lot better than the comedy pilots we saw last year. Uh, I don't think that's true. Really? Yeah. Okay. No, it's about on par with some of those mediocre ones. It's like not the Rob worst, but and uh, it's it's definitely not the. Are you it's there, definitely Chelsea? Not are you there, Rod Kids? Me, Chelsea. It's not as bad as the worst, but it's definitely not by any means good. One that it's worse than from last year. One that year. it's worse than free agents. Ah, touche. You, you, you Boom, got me there. Mic you got drop. me there. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the season premiere of Children's Hospital, The Boy with the Pancakes Tattoo. Um, much like the other Adult Swim shows, I think Children's Hospital is either a hit or miss kind of show. This episode was a miss for me. Uh, yeah, this wasn't. I mean, 
I, I feel like there's really only one way for Children's Hospital work to work, and that's to go as high concept as humanly possible. This episode seems high concept for most shows, but actually for Children's Hospital, it's pretty restrained. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the characters are still the characters. They don't go back in time or to another country. They don't pretend to be a different show for for, for 11 minutes. Uh, and I feel like the more wacky and sort of meta they get, the better a show it is. And I, I was missing that this week. I was hoping they would go big for the season premiere, which they didn't really do. I, I was still amused. Um, but yeah, whenever they try to go more character-based, it never quite works because, for me because the... The characters are sort of non-existent anyway, or, or are certainly so malleable that they may as well be non-existent. So yeah. I, I, I would I would prefer straight-up insanity, which, uh, you know, I mean, I think I think we were promised that with the blood fight promos, which were amazing. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I, I'm looking forward to the British episode or something like that. There's an episode. Yes, there's a there's a British version episode. Yeah, so we'll see where, where that uh, goes. Hopefully, I mean, I really like Children's Hospital, so I assume this is just an off week um, for them, or for me, I guess. Um, but next, there was also yeah. the NTSF SDSUV premiere. Um, this was 16 Hop Street. It, they, they go back to high school. I believe you meant NTSF semicolon SUV. No, damn it. No, I can't do it, but there's two semicolons at the end. Oh, I didn't say the colons right. Uh, NTSF colon SD colon SUV colon colon. <laughs> there we go. Now we've spent most of our review getting the name right. Yes. Um. Yeah. I I, I never watched this before. I'd always been curious to. I I really like the cast. Uh, actually, although I didn't know half of them until I started watching it. Which holy cow. Mm-hmm. Um. But um. Yeah. It didn't. Uh, it's more of a straight up genre parody than Children's Hospital is. It's having less. It's 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 less off the sort of off the chain than Children's Hospital is or seems to be. Which is which is uh, disappointing. I'm actually more intrigued in next week's episode because apparently both Jake Johnson and Alan Tudyk show up, which just seems like Amazing. one too many. But okay, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, it's it, it it feels more like a like a good SNL sketch than a properly figured out series. And by good SNL sketch, I mean mediocre good period SNL sketch. Yeah, yeah. I, this episode, I mean it. It's the back to high school Twenty One Jump Street joke uh, for the entire run um, of the of the episode. I didn't think it was that successful. I didn't really laugh that much. It was nice to see Glenn from Walking Dead. Yes, but otherwise, yes, it was it, it was kind of uh, a disappointing one for me. Um, so let's move on to Awkward, which had uh, another one bites to the dust. I was uh, fine with this episode. It was very you know, relationship heavy and and kind of, kind of uh, disappointingly light on the jokes. But for me, while not one of the episodes shows best, even of the season, I still liked it. You had a stronger reaction. Yeah, I didn't like it. And uh, just so you know, this week, um breaking up with something and, and getting back together with something, uh, which is, I don't know if we've done that before. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm kind of annoyed with Awkward. There were three main plots this week, and I was annoyed by all of them. I already didn't like the love triangle, so that wasn't new. Um, I'm really... I I don't want to watch Lacey anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Jenna's mom, she's just... If you want to make her a horrible, selfish, useless mother, then that's fine. But don't expect me to care about her relationship foibles. Just... Even just even just the fact that she keeps this horrible friend around who calls her daughter Lil Bitch and she never says anything about it is a bit much for me. But then, you know, throw in Guy from 
life unexpected, and then I just get even more annoyed. Chris Plaha. Chris, sorry, I thought when you were saying his last name, you were just making a sound. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, who I don't hate by any means. He just keeps showing up in annoying capacities in my life. Um, and yeah, and I don't care about Sadie and Ricky Schwartz at all either, and that seems like a squandering of her time. So yeah, I'm really not very pleased with the way the, sh the show's gone lately. Well, I'm going to stick with it, so I will let you know if it has a, uh, a a resurgence of awesome, or maybe just if some of these other plot lines wrap up, then you'll jump back in. <laughs> maybe. Um, or, th yeah, they, they may have to start killing some people. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, Wilfred, uh, which had a Truth this week, and this is probably going to be our most contentious discussion somewhat because i Maybe. think we both really like this episode but had different reactions uh yes yes um i i think this was this was actually the winner for thursday which has I, wilfred savor it this may never happen again mm -hmm. um i really like this episode i think i think it was my favorite episode of the series so far which actually beat last week's episode so i guess it's on a roll um but i feel like this week it basically turned into donnie darko the sitcom which made me really really happy just the it whenever it dials up the prophecies of doom and the weird darkness that the show is kind of good at um while still keeping the wackiness you know close at hand I, I, it's really like nothing else on tv and isn't even and isn't even remotely close to anything else on tv um you know if you ever notice that it shares a producer with uh, with family guy you'll forget by the time you've watched an episode like this, because there's, it's got absolutely nothing in common with the average sitcom. Um, and I also love Dwight Yoakam on this show. I think he's great. I think he's probably one of the five best musician actors around um, in the last 20 years. I know that's a weird thing to say, but it's true. Uh, think of Sling Blade people. And yeah, he's, he's, he's great on this, just so weird and unhinged and I, I like the chemistry between between him and uh, Jason Gann. And, of course, it featured Cryptic Games, which I know is a recurring thing that we like on this show. Yeah, the um, the games were fun. Uh, just the intensity they brought to to the most ridiculous, uh, you know, things that they came up with uh, was a lot of fun. For me, while I very much enjoyed this episode, and it was clearly successful because it affected me a lot, I'm very angry at the show for for <laughs> making Alice and Matt cry, Amanda cry, because uh, I thought she was great in this episode, her very, you know, small appearance in it, because when, you know, you believe that her heart is broken, completely broken mm -hmm. at the end of this episode, and... Uh, and so that's, you know, that's obviously the direction they decided to go, and that's that's fine. But my thing with it is that then I, I'm hoping this, that some sort of change has to come. I think some sort of change has to come out of that because of how significant that scene was, or at least, or at least how it was played by not just mm -hmm. the actors, but the show, the tone. There was a, right. a drastic tonal shift in that So it's scene. not that you, it's not that you have a problem with the episode, you're just apprehensive about them handling it right yeah my, my problem is that okay so he broke up with her because he's obviously talking to a dog and seeing things and you don't know no 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 no, no, no. he's talking to a man he's, in a dog costume he's talking to a man in a dog costume yes that's different let's let's be clear and so he and has these things that he wasn't willing to t share with her so clearly you know there are some you know some the fact that he wasn't willing to share that meant that there was a problem 
My only thing with that is that's fine as long as either he progresses to a point where he is willing to share that with somebody or they don't ask me to care about his like relationships and his emotional entanglements anymore because they got me to care about this one and then they punched me in the face. (laughs) And so if they ask me to care about another one, I'm just not going to unless, you know, because there's no reason that it should be any different until he changes. And so if he's not going to change... They can't ask me to care about a relationship. Right. You know well, what I mean? Well, it's tricky. He can only change so much because him talking to a guy in a dog costume is basically the entire conceit of the show. Yeah. So if that's the thing that keeps him from being in a relationship, which frankly, I think anything that can keep you in an asylum is a pretty good thing to mm-hmm. have be an issue in a relationship or something that you feel you need to keep to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, mind you, I also think that you know, if especially if you're in a new relationship... Waking up in the morning and asking your partner, what's your biggest secret, is a really, really stupid thing to do. <laughs> but maybe that's just me. Uh, not, I don't think your partner needs to be talking to Jason Gann in a dog costume for that to be the case. But, you know, philosophical differences. Um, I think, I, I don't know, I, I agree that they need to do something. He, he, they can't just repeat the same beats with, um, with Jenna when she gets back or when she sort of is back in the yeah. show. That's what I'm nervous about. I don't see them doing that. I, I feel like they're going to be smarter than that, but uh, but we'll see. I mean, just because you here's, – here's the tricky thing, which I don't know if they're going to mind, is impossibility doesn't preclude feeling. Like, they're, he, he may feel that he can't be in a relationship, but – that doesn't mean he doesn't have feelings for people, and that's 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 a tricky thing to handle without jerking people around. And I don't know. I, I I'm also slightly apprehensive about where they go from here. But I have after the after what they've been doing lately, I feel like they're smart enough to not repeat themselves. Yeah, I, I also just have a problem with people on and TV shows because I feel like this happens a lot. Maybe it's just the kind of shows that I watch. I have a real problem with people deciding that they get to make the choice for their partner. You know, like, oh, I, I'm too damaged to be in a relationship because I'm talking to a dog, in, a, a dude in a dog costume. Uh, so I'm just going to save them from that and not tell them and not ma- let them make the decision about it. Uh, I feel like I see plot lines like that on a lot of the, like, the genre shows that I watch. Oh, we can't be together and I we can't discuss it. I have to make the call for both of us. It just shows a lack of trust and respect for your partner. And so on a show like, like Wilfred... Or, you know, so there's been plot lines like that on Buffy. There's been plot lines like that on, on Vampire Diaries. Um, uh, and I'm sure, like, well, that's fine. Just then you can't ask me to care about or respect the main character's uh, romantic entanglements in, in the future until he chose change. Right. Well, I mean, I, I, think, I think in the circumstance, I, I think what Ryan does is totally fair. Whether it was totally fair to get in the relationship in the first place, I don't know. I mean, I don't have to deal with talking to a dog, or, a, sorry, talking to a man in a dog costume on a regular basis. That's not something <laughs> that I have to wrestle with. That's not my struggle. Uh-huh. So, you know, I don't know what I would do were I in Ryan's uh, hipstery shoes. So, I don't know. I, I try not to judge. <laughs> Apparently, I don't have that problem. That's it's... the difference between you and me, Kate. <laughs> Well, and speaking of, let's talk about Louie and Ikea slash piano lesson. Um, and I use that as our ta- as our uh, connector there uh, because I this is probably one of the, the least successful Louie episodes in a long time for me. Yeah, I, 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 
I feel like with Louis, least successful is a good way to put it because there's, I don't, I still, I'm still not entirely convinced there will ever be such a thing as a bad episode of Louis. And I don't think this was a, this was not a bad way to spend 22 minutes. But, um, I mean, between the two segments, which really felt like three segments, it was really all over the place. Um, only the Ikea part really worked for me. I personally found that first seven minutes really, really, really funny from his little, his little sort of pseudo freakout speech about the rug to the reappearance of Dolores to, um, I, I, I really like the cutaway to the, to the young couple being like, let's not be like that. I, I, I know you felt like it was a bit played out, but it worked for me. Uh, as soon as we got to the, to the crabs though, besides Maria Bamford's phone call, which was amazing, um, <laughs> She was she was great, and it looked like they probably filmed it in as long as it took for her to say those words. Um, the rest of it was really hit or miss for me, especially the Mark Marion stuff, which if you've heard his appearance on the show, which was like two hours long, then this especially was not interesting because it was just – there was such a lack of specifics – whereas the their long conversation was all about specifics and getting into you know deep feelings which yeah this didn't really do and i i don't really know who this that segment was meant to amuse except for maybe them so that it didn't quite work for me well you know and i don't know if it was intended to be funny or more of a, just a reflection on the nature of memory and friendship um but it just it wasn't interesting and it it was, like you said, it was too unspecific to really have much weight. Some people have connected connected it to the Dane Cook appearance in, that was, a, I want to say that was the second season? That was last season, yeah. Yeah, but the, they actually talked about something real in, in that. Mm. It, it felt like there was some actual, you know, emotion or some, some thoughtful discussion happening in that. And here... Mm. It just it it was, it was just completely uh, blank. It was just oh yeah, there was this thing that I'm not going to talk about, and I thought you were a jerk, but I was a jerk. But and that's that's an interesting thing to to talk about, I guess. But they spend so long on it without any more information than just a thing. You jerk, me jerk. That that's all. That, you yeah. know that it, it was a waste of time and and really a waste of Louis and Marin. I would have liked to see more from that. Also for for me, the IKEA. One just didn't work that great. There were some nice moments, but I've seen all of those jokes a million times and done funnier. I liked the the Thirty Rock IKEA episode better than this one. Um, so so while the the Maria Bamford phone call was hilarious, uh, especially her closing, so uh, beep you or I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> was great, um, and, and the rug thing. You're right. Was was really good. The rest of it just really mm -hmm. didn't work for uh, me. And I I know we're we're trying to be swift, but um, I, I I'm also a little concerned about how guest crazy the show's gone lately. Yeah. Um, because we're I feel like we're which you know the guests have been mostly great. Um, and it's you know always nice to see them let their hair down a bit, but um, I'm a little concerned that we're squeezing out the kids a little too much yeah uh which then they're great we need to spend more time with them that's that's my only complaint i did really like sarah silverman in this actually though i thought that was that interchange on the phone was nice and and yeah. seeing louis watching himself <laughs> was pretty funny too yeah i i could have gone for a little more of that even yeah 
or even just a reflection on aging would have been more interesting i think yeah anyways also also second straight week of no stand-up except for him watching his old stand-up i really feel like the show needs the stand-up as a backbone as a spine um but i think I, i think it helps i don't know if it needs it but i think it helps yeah. Um, let's move on to Animal Practice, which premiered after the closing ceremonies of the Olympics on Sunday. This is the pilot. For me, it's as simple as the stuff with the monkey and the other animals is funny. Everything else isn't. What did you get? Did you get a chance to watch Animal Practice? I did, um, and I felt like it was just assaulting me with wackiness all of the time and then that made the moments where it wasn't assaulting me with with wackiness feel very disingenuous um like i mentioned during go on this was directed by anthony and joe russo and it really has that community feel to the camera movement and the editing and even some of the music cues uh but uh, which you know isn't gonna help with me because i'm not a fan of community these days but um yeah the characters just feels too shticky the animals are just, they're animals, you know? I don't care about, I mean, wait, I, I care about some animals some of the time, but just <laughs> just having animal reaction shots is just a cheap source of comedy, I'm sorry. Um, the oh, come monkey on. is cle- Annie's boobs is clearly very well trained, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. You, d- you didn't it, like it, uh, Annie's boobs taking, uh, taking bets on the horse race? Or the dog race? Uh, yeah, it was cute, but you know, I just I felt I felt like by the end of the episode, it had all the animal humor I could take. Uh, I like Justin Kirk a lot, but he's basically just kind of playing a vaguely nicer version of his character on Weeds. It felt like, um, and yeah, the and the romance is again Terrible. totally uninteresting. Terrible. Totally uninteresting. Yeah. Um, let's move on though to the newsroom, uh, which had a part a part one of two, the blackout. Part one, tragedy porn was this episode. I love that Sorkin's so pretentious that his two-parters have subtitles. Yeah, it's, that, that's true. It really didn't seem that necessary to have the subtitles. Um, but this episode is all about the the fallout of of the Newsnight 2.0 coverage. Um, this week they were talking about Casey Anthony. They were talking about Anthony Weiner. They were talking about debt ceiling. So lots of news was going on at this this week uh what did you think of this episode because you jumped back on just so we could talk about it uh but yeah. what did you think were you glad you did so i don't like to be broken up with two shows at the same time because then it feels like mommy and daddy are fighting um <laughs> yeah yeah i mean this was a this was almost good um i wouldn't call it good but it was almost good which is really good for the newsroom um i mean uh, both both the sunday uh sort of tetchy political dramas i watch were better this week because they just didn't do some stuff they usually do so this week there was very little annoying relationship crap which was great and what little there was actually involved paul schneider who was uh here and i love him in a dramatic capacity i really think that on parks he got to show off about 10 percent of his skill set uh and he handles sorkin's dialogue really really well um probably better than most of the regular cast actually and so he's great to have. Uh, it mostly sticks to the sort of ethics of covering schlocky news without getting too annoyingly high-minded about it most of the time, which was nice. Well, because I think even the scene where they do break down the Nancy Grace coverage of Casey Anthony, you know, obviously they're, they were criticizing that style of of 
air quotes news reporting, but what I thought was a really smart touch is that they showed it being incredibly effective when they go around the room and and show and, and he says I, all this is to to make you feel like Casey Anthony deserved better. She deserved a mom like, and then all the women in the room say me. So clearly it had worked on them. So I, I'm I'm glad that they showed that maybe it's not the most high minded or the not the most ethical way to present the news, but it's clearly there's a reason they do it and it works. Mm-hmm. As for the relationship stuff, I thought it was so much better this week. Um, last week they just didn't really have a lot of it. There was Maggie and Jim stuff. Um, and that was the downside mm-hmm. of the episode this week. There wasn't any Maggie and Jim stuff and all the relationship things were good. So I think uh, Aaron Sorkin needs to take a note from that. And we didn't miss it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I've been really liking Olivia Munn on the show. What did you think of her? <sighs> I hate to admit it, but she's actually all right. Yeah. I really, see? really don't like her, but she's actually okay on it. She I... works well with the Sorkin dialogue, I think. Yeah. And and I, I wouldn't ever in a million years have expected to even vaguely buy her as a financial analyst, but uh, she's she's doing all right. Yeah. I didn't really care about the conspiracy stuff, to be honest, mm-hmm. especially the consp- the deep throat type character who knows all the conspiracy characters from movies and then makes references to them because somehow he's had time to become fully versed in pop culture amidst all his experiences that didn't do anything for me and i and again the the usual thing of we're going to threaten will with firing if his ratings go low enough or if which is you know totally fair um or if blah 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 it's just i don't care you're not going to fire him he's the show move on yeah the see the, the that movie quote thing whatever worked for me just because i feel like it's way easier to say you know that machine from the dark knight we have the machine from the dark knight that's just a much easier and faster. Oh, way that, to... that 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 didn't that didn't bother me, especially Sam Waterson not knowing what it was. Uh, it was more the I'm not Donald Sutherland and so and so. Like, just, yeah, gotcha. Just come gotcha. on, yeah. The the I guess the, I one more thing. The the storyline that they're developing with uh, TMI having the same uh, tech, uh, doing the same things as News of the World uh, was exciting for me, just because it's their first step into making up stories about you know so yes this is what they should be doing that you know they don't need to talk about news of the world they can have a fictional counterpart to it and that will solve a lot of their problems so i'm hoping they get they do more of that and you only had to sit sit through six hours of bad dramatizations of real news <laughs> touche but let, let's move on to political animals uh what did you think of this i still am, i'm not watching it but what did you think right uh, again, Political Analysis was better than usual because I, I feel like it does much better as a show when it's a show about the Hammond family and not a show about just Elaine, um, which, yeah, because, I mean, it's, they've got a strong ensemble, a lot, especially along with uh, Carlo Gugino, and it's good when they use them, and there was, accordingly, I feel like we actually spent more time with uh, Carlo Gugino and James Wolk this week than we did with we than than we did with Weaver, uh, which is good because, as we all know, she's not all that great. Um, the they went the direction I was hoping they wouldn't with Gigino uh, G- and Walk, but uh, you know that's I I couldn't I knew it was gonna so I guess I shouldn't be too upset. Uh, first decent use of Anne I think since the show started with uh, her and Ellen Burstyn just chilling and getting high in in uh, in TJ's old room, which was great. Um, and they finally addressed the whole bulimia thing a little bit, which was way overdue. 
And um, the whole standoff with the sub also was uh, slightly far-fetched, but still um, ballsy and interesting. Although it would have been ballsier and more interesting to have Elaine deliberately throw a wrench in the works to further her own advances. But unfortunately, this isn't a show where people are that interesting and mean. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still enjoying it. It's still a, a very light, breezy watch uh, that I don't have to think too hard about and doesn't make me angry. Looking forward to the finale next week? Uh, oh yeah, it is the finale next week, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I'm hoping they um, they go a little bit crazier with it. That'd be nice. <laughs> um, speaking of going crazy with it, True Blood. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, that was nuts. Gone, this week, gone, eh? gone. Yeah, how about that? Uh, what's weird is that it, there were some really there was some really crazy stuff, and then they decided to end the episode on this really eh note with Suki finding out that that guy who wants to kill the clearly who clearly wants her dead wants her dead. Okay. I mean, that's a cliffhanger, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, clearly the highlight of the episode was watching that maybe God naked lady kill that other guy who is already dead. Um, very confusing. Lilith rip, uh, tear out Godric's throat. Yes. Yeah. I was also sad to find out uh, last week we, we said that Tina Majorino was a goner and this week she almost immediately was. Yeah. Which was which which kind of made me sad. I I feel like they would have done it last week if they'd had time, but it was already a crazy long episode. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it would have been a I would have been one of their typical violent cappers. Uh, sorry, Majorino, get more work soon, please. Um, in in retrospect, she really she didn't really get much to do at all. No, they yeah wasted. But I really liked the bits that she was in. How about uh, Russell? Uh, Russ, I'm, I'm a little confused about their design of this, of the whole Russell slash the authority plot where he just eventually gets annoyed with them and leaves. I don't know if that was the most compelling way to do that, but all right. Um, I still have no idea where any of this is headed and I can't think of a way for them to wrap any of this up. And there's how many episodes left? Like two? Yeah, there, there aren't very many. Um, yeah, it just seems like every week things get more and more chaotic and there's just, and they just keep doing more stuff and it's just going to end. I don't know. I I don't really know how a season of True Blood works. I, although one thing I will say is that, uh, when I said to you, uh, we were chatting about this episode, uh, before the show and I said, well, I guess there's no more Hoyt because, you know, he's off to Alaska, but you were like, no, 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 they don't do that. I don't know how important a, Ho- a, a character Hoyt is. I would be perfectly happy for him to go to Alaska and just not to see him again, but I guess they're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. I, no? It was hilarious because I, I, you know, was talking, I was like, I wonder if Hoyt's going to make it to Alaska. And you're like, yeah, not on this show, no. He's, they're going to contrive some sort of way. I was waiting for him to get turned into a vampire basically given how uh, that he's like all carefree driving along the road parts of his memory erased and uh and the fact that they kept talking about how they're gonna they're increasing the trying to increase the vampire population i would be very surprised if he left the show i would be shocked if he left the show um the last thing i'm gonna mention about trubo this week i look forward to the pam and tara staking show uh, some, some, some actions going, is going to go down with that, I'm sure, yeah, in the next few sure. weeks. But I look forward to that dynamic duo so mm. much. I also like Top Chef Lafayette. Oh, yeah, that was great. <laughs> it was great. Yes. Okay, so any final thoughts? Shall we move on? Uh, no, let's keep we're, – we're on a roll. Let's keep doing it. Go, go, go. Let's keep doing it. Grim had its season uh, two premiere yesterday, and that was Bad, uh, Bad Teeth. 
uh, it, I thought it was, you know, pretty good. Pretty much picked up where the the last episode left off, quality wise, time wise. It picked up a little bit before the the finale uh, start uh, ended. Uh, I think bringing in Nick's mom was really smart. Apparently, that's something that the producers had planned from the very beginning. I they talked about that at Comic Con, um, and, and I think that's working well. I think they did a good job of moving the 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 storylines forward with with Nick and and Juliet. Um the Hex and Beast stuff worked well. The the Captain um Renard, I want to say I don't remember the character's name unfortunately right now. Uh storyline is interesting and I thought they did a very good job of when they go into Juliet's mind, we find out that the the thing that's been done to her is affecting her memory. So the way they chose to show that um to, to visualize her experience in her coma, I thought it was a really tiny scene, but really effective. So I look forward to seeing where the season is going. And at least for right now, with nothing else on the air, I'm going to be sticking with Grimm on a weekly basis. So I look forward to seeing what's coming next. But let's go on to Bunheads and No One Takes Khaleesi's Dragons. Uh, best title this week? Honestly, that was the best thing about this episode. It wasn't a bad episode, but it was a great episode title. <laughs> um, I think for me, the only really memorable highlight of the episode, besides um, the uh, the barista adventures, were, was probably Sasha's takedown of cheerleading. <laughs> uh, that that was fantastic. Uh, I, I maintain that she is a, a, a great little actress. Um, the, the, I'm really tired of watching the, the girls and their various boy problems. They're, they're not interesting and they're... Oh, Carl! Nah, I, 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 I don't, I don't really care about Carl, to be honest. <laughs> um, but, I mean, his, his tux shirt is kind of adorable, but that's about it. Um, I know Ginny's name now. Yeah, it's Ginny. Um, good for us. <laughs> that's progress. <laughs> That is, that is progress. Um, yeah, it just felt like very little happened this week. Okay, I thought that there was some good character development. I think that they have done a much better job of finding the balance between Michelle and Fanny and the girls. I think this what they've come to now is what works, and that hopefully that's what they'll stick with. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that... Uh, I, I was disappointed that we didn't have any uh, Chris Eggerman. Yes. Uh, he seems to not be on the show, at least for a while. Um, and uh, the... The 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 bar the guy the barista uh, is that actor was on Gilmore Girls playing a similarly quirky um, or just as quirky but in a very different way character uh, Kirk so I look forward to him being part of the uh, Paradise family I guess uh, so mm-hmm. hopefully we'll see more of him but that I I enjoyed the the fact that he had to remake his coffee because it looked like the mm-hmm. Mercedes Benz symbol instead of a peace sign. Yeah, it's not like The Good Wife where we get to have all our guest stars at the same time. It's like with Bunheads, we only get a couple at a time. So this week we get him and John Polito. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of it. Yeah. But uh, let's move on and talk about Alphas, which had a more memorable episode this week. When Push Comes to Shove. Really, if if Breaking Bad hadn't been so ridiculously good this week, it could have been a, a bit of a fight between Wilfred and Alphas and, and B-Bad, I think. Yes, I I completely agree. Alphas is better than it's ever been. I think right now. I mean, it hasn't been on that long, but I think it's. I don't know. I don't know if it's peaking, but it's definitely on the rise. Um, this was uh this was a very Nina centric episode. There was very little Gary involved. 
which based on that description, you might think it wasn't as good, but it's actually better, uh, which is quite strange. Uh, we, we A little Gary went a long way this week. Uh, he was there for some very, very important comic relief. We really, really needed it because um, the Nina stuff was heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really thought... I thought they they the, the great thing about alphas is really the way they logically think through the, these powers and what they would actually do to people, especially if you had them all your life. And uh, that uh, they've never really gone into childhoods much, as far as I can remember. But Nina's a good character to do that with because just imagine you're a little girl and you can make people do whatever you want. What realistically would you do, especially if you're you know in a less than happy home? Yeah. And uh, th- those scenes like. If if they've been if they've been directed wrong or done with done in the wrong way they they could have been so corny, but they were uh, really really nicely acted, really uh, well rendered, really heart rending actually. I I, I got a, I'm not gonna lie I got I got a little dusty near the end of this episode. Yeah, it was it was definitely a good one, and we've had some time off from Nina, which I think was was good. Um, and so to have a, a Nina centric episode, I think was this was a good time for it. I think it's also important to show us what can happen when one of the the air quotes good guys gets out of control for any number of reasons. Um, I thought that it, it was a really strong central performance from the actress Laura whose name. Reynolds. There we go. From the actress whose name I should have written down, which is Laura Reynolds. I think actually I'm going to check that because I'm not sure. Um, I also thought that the the girl who played young Nina was, first of all, adorable, but also she gave a, a really solid performance L- as well. Laura Menel, sorry, and Laura yeah, she, and yeah, she she looked freakishly like like older Nina, which was great. Um, and yeah, both child actors were good, which is unusual for a show that employs children for flashbacks because they're usually horrible, <laughs> um, usually really really bad. The, uh, yeah, and I, I have to say that there were a, f- a few moments in it that I really wasn't expecting. The whole, um, Nina Rachel thing, which was just so cruel and. Well, and... also, th- that felt really cheap to me. It felt like, oh, we're gonna have chicks make out. I hope you're watching our show. Uh, I felt like that was promo material for Sci Fi Channel. I-, I don't think it felt any more like that than it did when they did something similar on the first season of Fringe. Um, yeah, that? that also felt cheap. Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually this felt more motivated by character to me than that did, and um, I don't I don't know. I, I I can see that being a problem for some people, but I actually thought it was just a, a, a nice character beat. It's it's the sort of thing that you might see her do just just to mess with her, and it, in, on that level, it worked for me. And also, we got another. <laughs> it also let us know about another dimension of Rachel's uh, powers that can be problematic. Um, which I didn't know before. Oh, no, they showed us that. when In one of the previous episodes, she's out on a uh, uh, first date, and she has to send the guy away because she kisses him, but it's just too intense. Oh, yeah, I think I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I wasn't expecting to see a shot of her pushing herself. Uh, mm-hmm. That was that was interesting. The only thing in retrospect that I'm confused about is the cold open with the with the baby and the money and the dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I, I, I'm honestly not sure what that was about. Oh, she pushed a guy to think that the bag of money was a baby that he had to take, take away and protect. Right. I think I was just confused because we never actually saw Nina in that scene or her oh. friend. Yes. Uh, so I didn't know if she was the one pushing him or if there was someone else. And yeah, I was thinking, I don't know if that was the most elegant way to introduce, uh, Fair enough. and powers into that episode. Uh, but yeah, it was great. It was emotionally affecting in ways I wasn't expecting um, the execution 
remains top notch and um also great use of music and uh yeah just an overall spectacular episode and i think a good addressing of the the new guy and rachel's potential relationship the the explanation they give for why after so clearly flirting with her at the beginning of the episode he had backed off at the end of the episode i think the explanation they give for that this week makes a lot of sense and is really interesting so we'll uh, see what yes. they, where they go, where that goes. Yeah, but I, I, I'm enjoying it. If anything, he's like a perfect match for Rachel almost to a fault, where he's he's sensitive like she is. But, you know, um, but yeah, the, I, I, kinda, I honestly, I kind of feel like they're going to kill him off, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, let's, uh, th- that's the end of our Blitzkrieg through our, our week in TV. We're going to take a break, listen to a little music, and come back and talk about uh, Breaking Bad, this latest, which is Dead Freight. I've seen all good people turn their heads each day So satisfied I'm on my way Take a straight and stronger course to the I've seen all good people by yes. This this song was actually used in Alphas this week, but we didn't have any uh, soundtrack really to to Breaking Bad this week. It was pretty much all score. So I, I decided to go with uh, that memorable song usage from Alphas uh, instead. But let's talk about Breaking Bad Dead Freight. This has got to be one of their best episodes, right? Uh, it was really, really, really good. Um, it was e- easily the best of the new season anyway. Uh, I think what's really masterful about it is, and I, and I and I don't think they do it in a dickish way. I think they do it in a fairly honest way that I think David Chase would have appreciated. Uh, this is really all about audience manipulation, and not just in terms of plot mechanics, uh, but also in terms of how we see these characters and how we see the the world that they live in. Because you know we get this cold open with this kid riding around the desert, and because it's Breaking Bad, personally I was thinking, okay. So is this just some kid or is this someone we're seeing as younger for some reason? Like mm-hmm. I thought maybe Todd even, who ended up being very important in this episode. Uh, he's Jesse Plemons' character. I thought, oh, okay, it's about time we learn more about Todd. So maybe this is kid Todd getting a tarantula and later he's going to tell a story where he mentions a tarantula and that's why we're seeing it. That, that was the best I could do. <laughs> and because um, it's really, it's, an, it's, a, it's a tough show to predict. And then we get a heist which makes the one from the start of the season look like kid stuff, which makes me wonder why they even bothered with that, because this was so much more awesome. Um, just a hundred times more awesome. Uh, although the idea that Jesse, frankly, would come up with most of that in one sitting, it seems a little far-fetched to me, but I'm going to go with it. I, I I really like that, actually. I like that uh, they're giving Jesse the... Uh, they're making him the smartest. Uh, at least it's the second time they've done that. Yeah. If not the smartest, the at least the ideas solver. man. Yeah. Yeah, which uh, makes me wonder why they need Walt at all. But anyway. Um, <clears throat> and um, and then, of course, we get to the end, which uh, was, uh, again, like like with that heist from the start of the season, we, we, we kind of have this, like, hell yeah, like, high fives, we're awesome. 
isn't it great? And then you think, and if you actually think to scrutinize it for a moment, yes, you managed to, to make it so that you can make an insane amount of meth over an insanely long period of time. Congratulations, and that's what we feel awesome about. And we get a reminder of that when Jesse Plemons takes out a gun and shoots that kid in the face. Yeah, that I think the the reason that the end of this episode is so successful is that the tone is perfectly handled uh, through through the direction and the editing and and the performances, all of that. It's perfectly handled through the celebration to the uh, the sort of awkward um, the realization that the kid is there um, through the the very end of the episode. That was something I was watching this episode and. And about at a certain point, um, when they're, you know, like I'd like a third of the way through or half of the way through, something like that was when, when they started putting together their plan of how they were going to do this, uh, they said, in the best part, no witnesses. And I was like, oh crap, that kid's going to be a witness. That's not going to end well. And so there was just this, you know, I think, and I think when you, when people rewatch it, as well, if you know, if you if you didn't kind of figure that out while you're watching, I, I, there's just good, there's just the sense of doom and foreboding. Uh, mm-hmm. If you you know if if you know if you because re- I think what it was is I recognized the the color similarity between the opening scene and then when they were scoping out the location. I think, that, right. I think that's what 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 takes me um, what you know kind of tipped me off to tipped it. Tipped you off, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think there. I think there are a couple things. I had a couple really significant issues with this episode, actually, as much as I liked it. First of all, um, it doesn't make any sense for Walt or Walt and Jesse would not have shown Lydia their face. That just seems incredibly stupid because she didn't know them before, and now she can ID them. And if they're not going to kill her, well, she she saw Jesse last week. Okay, but she didn't see Walt. She had no idea who Walt was. Um, and she had no way of knowing who Walt was. And so the fact, yeah, but you know, just Wal- things like come that. Come on. Walt is never going to hide his face from anyone anymore. He's got way too much hubris to do that. It's just sloppy. And well, I don't, yeah, I don't see any of them sloppy. as, I don't see any of them as, as sloppy. I mean, Walt, I see as egotistical, but I feel like Mike wouldn't let Walt do that. You know, I feel like somebody should have thought of that. And then. Well, well, to be fair, Mike is entering that room almost positive that he she's not going to be leaving it yeah but still the point remains it was that was just driving me nuts the whole whole time through that that sequence um and then also the um there was uh there was another thing like that later in the episode that was that was driving me nuts oh yeah why why they tell todd their entire plan and we're stealing methylamine so that we can cook meth and this is what we do, and this is who we are, you know, as opposed to... I think the... I, I feel like the implication was that he'd already figured most of that out for himself. Really? Really? I didn't get that at all. I just, you know, like, I didn't... I, you know, he figured out that they were up to illegal things, of course, because like, he was... Well, how many of... things... How many things really require the use of a tented-off home that, like, that gets rid of fumes and... I mean, there's really only so many options... Yeah, I guess, but I don't know. It's still the fact that they're like, yep, this is what we're going to do, as opposed to stick this hose onto there and don't ask questions. I feel like Mike's the kind of guy to be, don't ask questions. Oh, fair enough. But I I feel like they maybe could have been clearer about it, but I feel like with that moment he had either last week or the previous week, I forget which, they're sort of a stat. It feels like everyone knows that he knows that 
everyone else. You know what I'm saying? Like they, it's like okay, this kid is he's not an idiot. He knows what's going on. We may as well be. Yeah, I mean, forward. I guess we just had a different take on on that scene. I I yeah. felt like he he knew that they were doing something shifty, but didn't know what it was. Uh, but it, it doesn't really matter. The, the 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 reason I bring it up is because despite the fact that I'm pedantic and these little issues were driving me nuts, <laughs> it was still a really good episode. Um, and I thought it was so. I know some people don't like the fact that that uh, Jesse Plemons' character, that Todd, is the one who shot the kid. But I thought that that was that that was perfect. Yeah. Just the right thing that I mean, needed to happen. I it didn't feel right for it to be Mike. Uh, yeah, because he cause seems was... to have a thing about kids, uh, <laughs> a thing about kids where he yeah. doesn't like killing them. <laughs> and, and Jesse uh, and wouldn't it, have done and it. Jesse clearly no, yeah. And Walt can't do it yet because no. Jesse w- needs to take longer yeah. to figure out who Walt. Yeah, is. Walt. Walt needs time to rationalize horrible things he's going to do before he does them. Oh, I could sometimes. see him shooting that kid, no trouble. But I think that he can't kill a kid in front of Jesse. Yet, because I feel like this entire the, the whole methylam- need for methylamine plotline was created to get them to the point where they've killed a kid and how and how that's going to affect Jesse. I feel like that that last moment was the point mm-hmm. of everything we've seen with Lydia this entire yeah. season. Well, the the whole show has been so insulated from meth itself, except for um, Aaron Paul's plotline in season two, mm-hmm. and even that was sort of different. Uh, so it 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 makes sense that they're that they need to find another way to sort of the consequences of their business, and this is a very good, very clear way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the it, it's also it's just a well done episode in that you know they're gonna be successful. Like if you rationally, like if you're thinking about it, it's like they have to be successful because there are too many episodes left for them to get caught. You know they can't get caught yet. But the fact that they were able to maintain suspense in that train sequence, even though you knew Jesse couldn't get killed, and Todd, you don't know, but, you know, like, I don't, did you have that at all? But I was watching it going, I know that this is going to have to work, but it's I'm still gripped. I'm still at the edge of my seat. Well, and that's what good filmmaking does. It it makes you forget your... It makes you forget what you know yeah. about what you're seeing yeah and uh breaking bad does that all the time and it's always impressive well and i also feel like we should talk about just at least i'm just going to mention that the direction i think i think the visuals of this episode were spectacular and even better than than last week's skylar centric episode which i very much enjoyed yeah well it was just great to see to get basically an, an episode of Breaking Bad that's a western sort of mm-hmm. uh, and that sort of gets to use that desert setting spectacularly and it, it you don't get to see, you don't it's not often that you get uh, an entire episode of Breaking Bad in sort of a wide open space you think of like four days out and that's sort of it mm-hmm. so um, yeah that that's always great to see and then I guess do we want to talk about uh, Hank at all um well <laughs> uh I don't know what is there to he didn't he didn't really get too much to do this week other than be fooled by Walt. Yeah. Um uh yeah, I mean I'm I'm always I'm curious as to when he finds out about Heisenberg how it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh who he's going to find out from and uh, how how direct it's going to be from his efforts or if it's just going to be a horrible coincidence or something <laughs> like that. That's the thing that has me that's the thing that I'm most interested about with respect to Hank. Yeah. Um, so yeah, solid episode, really great performances. I look forward to more Jesse Plemons in the cast. Uh, I thought he was a nice addition here and, uh, only three episodes left. 
this year. Yeah. Yeah, and then we have to wait 11 months or something. Oof. 10 months. Ugh, I don't wanna. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, any final thoughts or shall we move on? I think we should we should wrap it up. Okay, so our it, our show notes uh, here before we go into our shelf. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. You can find the podcast up at soundonsite.org where there'll be a post. And please leave us comments. Let us know what you thought about uh, the TV you watched this week, uh, Breaking Bad, Wilfred. Let us know where you're at with Awkward. Uh, newsroom. Um, and then also, hopefully, some of you will have some thoughts about Nero Wolf, which is a show close to both of our hearts. You know, that's yes. coming up next here. Um, you can find us streaming also at Current TV. You can find us in iTunes, where there's an M4A and an MP3 feed. Uh, we'd love it if you left us a rating or a review. That would be very much appreciated. And um, let's see, our question for this week what do you think? Maybe people should give us their thoughts if they watch the pilot. Let us know what you think. Yeah, sure. Um, We'd like to know if you think we're terribly wrong about stuff. Yeah, absolutely. We, we enjoy that. Also, you can reach us on uh, via email, uh, theteleverse at gmail.com, or on Twitter. I am at theteleverse, and you are? I am at Sucker Howell. And I think, that's, I think that's plenty, yes? Yes, I think so. So we're going to listen to a little music and come back with our discussion with Tyler Smith of Battleship Pretension and More Than a Lesson talking about Nero Wolf. The oversized genius was at his desk in a chair made to order for his seventh of a ton with a bottle of beer and a glass, comfortably reading his latest book, The Treasure of Our Tongue. Fritz will warm the duck. No, he won't. I've had the lousiest day of my life, and I'm going to finish it up right. Confounded, you must eat. I say no. First, the client. You want to know about the client? You want to know what I was doing? On behalf of the client, let me tell you about my day. Let me tell you where I've been. Let me I gave it to him verbatim. Met. No man ever got less out of a day, I'll tell you that. I can't wait to see the program you've cooked up for tomorrow. It's partly your stomach. If not the duck, then an omelet. No, no, I'm, no. Caviar? There's a fresh pound. You know damn well I love caviar. I wouldn't insult it. Archie, you're trying to pester me into returning that retainer? No, I know I couldn't. Then you're twaddling. You are quite aware that we have undertaken a job which is preposterous. We've both said so. There's a certain amount of hit or miss in every operation, but this one is all hit or miss. You're tired, you're hungry. Confound it, eat something! Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell, and this week at the DVD Shelf, we are excited to welcome back Tyler Smith from Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson to help us talk about Nero Wolf. Tyler, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, Nero Wolf, we were hanging out at, at Comic-Con and uh, talking about Sherlock, and that sort of led us to Nero Wolf. Uh, I was very excited. I've only really talked to one person outside of my family who likes Nero Wolf or had even really watched it, and that was Simon. <laughs> so I was so pleasantly surprised to hear that you're a fan of the show. What about it uh, prompted you to, you know, you're like, hey, if I come back on, we should talk Nero Wolf. What prompted you to pick the show, and also what uh, got drew you to it in the first place when it was on TV? 
Well, uh, I don't know what it was, but like uh, probably like in high school, I started to get into like detective novels. Um, I think I probably got there through uh, Dashiell Hammett, who wrote The Maltese Falcon, which is one of my favorite movies and books. Um, and then uh, I think on Annie, I saw like an, a promo for Nero Wolf. So the but I didn't watch it because I didn't know what it was. But the the word hung out in my head a little bit. And and I had read uh, I had read some Sherlock Holmes, and then I had heard somebody talk about a series of detective novels about a guy named Nero Wolfe and his assistant Archie Goodwin. And what it was is it was sort of like Sherlock Holmes if Watson was not like a a sycophant, if like if Sam Spade from the Maltese Falcon was paired with Sherlock Holmes, you would actually get, like, a some friction and probably some humorous friction between the two different styles. And they said that's what Nero Wolfe was. And that sounded really interesting to me. So I, I bought the first book and read it, and incidentally the first book is not at all the place to start because um, it doesn't fit the format that, that Rex Stout would later on embrace. But... Uh, but I tore through those. They're very easy books to read, and they are wonderful as far as, like, they really flesh out the character of Nero Wolf and Archie Goodwin and, and all the other people, uh, all the other characters that would show up. Um, and, uh, and then I remembered, like, oh, yeah, there's a whole, uh, a whole TV series of this. And when I heard that, uh, that uh, Maury Chaikin, the character actor who uh, somewhat recently passed away, uh, when I heard that he was playing Nero Wolf, I was thrilled because I was I was a fan of his, and so I I sought it out and thought it was absolutely amazing. Um, I think it's you know it's it, it is an easy thing to say. I think I like the books more. I think you know when you start with a book and you watch a movie or you watch a TV show that is based on it, um, you know it's not gonna fit. It's not gonna match your imagination totally. But I think the show does a really, really solid job of of approximating the reality of Nero Wolf, and so uh, so yeah, I had the association with the books first, and then the TV show, uh, and now and now I love both of them, and I see them as as similar but but separate entities. That's interesting because for me, I, I watched the series. Uh, and I'm also it was a mystery buff, you know, from a, a young age reading, you know, Sherlock Holmes and uh, Poirot and uh, a bunch of these different uh, uh, detectives. And so I watched, I heard, you know, saw, saw some commercial, watched the show, loved the show, went to the library to read the books, and could not do it. I couldn't do it. I hated the books. Just the for whatever hmm. reason, the writing style didn't work for me. And maybe I should give it another shot. It's you know that was back in like what oh man 10 years ago now uh but uh at the time i remember it it uh i i was like reading the books going how did they make such an awesome show out of these books and they couldn't have looking back at it now watch you know watching the show and and uh seeing some of the the featurettes on the dvds you realize that a lot of this dialogue is lifted directly from the source material and every single uh, episode is based on either a, a novel or novella or short story um, by Rex Stout. So clearly I was missing something in my very brief glimpse into the books that I should, uh, you know, so I should go back and check them out again. But I think that's so interesting that we have such different 
approaches or we had such different entries to to this series well we came to it from different from different writing styles you said you came to it from like Poirot and stuff like that and Agatha Christie is not a hard-boiled detective writer yes that's true whereas like a Dashiell Hammett or a Raymond Chandler they were and that's how I got in and while Nero Wolf the character is very similar to Sherlock Holmes or Poirot or you know Miss Marple or whatever the writing it, it's from its first person from Archie Goodwin and he is more of the hard-boiled de- boiled detective so if these so if the dialogue struck you and you like that but the writing style doesn't like it makes sense actually that I would have gotten more into the books and you would have gotten more into the show. Yeah, and I have I do really like the the Maltese Falcon the book and uh, some of the other Hammett that I've read. So maybe I just need to, you know, go back into it with that perspective and you know a little more time, a little more seasoning perhaps uh, in my literary perspective will would be affected by that as well too. But I still think that's that's interesting. You're right. It's a detective story isn't just a detective story. There's so much more uh, to defining what, what, you know, whether or not it's going to work for, for a reader or for a viewer. Um, but I, I still think that's interesting. Right. Um, Simon, how about, what was your, what was your approach? I haven't read the, uh, the books at all. Um, I saw the show initially when it first aired, I would have been 15 at the time, which sounds about right. Um, I just, I, honestly, I don't even know if I had the mental capacity to totally follow every aspect of the mysteries at the time, but, just, but for some reason I really dug it. Uh, the atmosphere, the, the pep, the the dialogue, the, um, the the pacing, and the casting, especially, I, I was I was always really into, um, uh, especially of course Maury Chaikin as Nero Wolf. Although really, especially when you're watching the show, the protagonist is really Timothy Hutton's character, mm-hmm. um, Archie Goodwin, or, or or at least he is before Nero Wolf inevitably takes over for the last ten fifteen minutes, so he can explain everything that's just happened. Um, but what's interesting to me is I always thought of it as a Canadian series because it's, I mean, I, I assume they did some, you know, pickup shots in New York just so that you might think it was plausibly New York, but it was filmed in Toronto and Chaikin is a legendary Canadian character actor. In fact, I would say that the two most legendary Canadian character actors around, uh, for a very long time are both in this show, him and, uh, Saul Rubinek, who's in, uh, mm. I think nearly a dozen episodes. You've also got Julian Richings turning up in a few and Carrie Matchett, who is like weirdly in everything ubiquitous. <laughs> uh, she's in everything for, and I think she still is like, she, yeah. she still turns up all the time. She's got a very distinctive face. You'll, you'll wreck it. Everything from, um, wonderfalls to uh, a whole bunch of what one, one hit wonders, sci-fi shows to just, you name it. She, if there's a cult TV series in the last 20 years, she's probably had some part in it. And uh, she's she's great here. I've I've I always really dug the cast and Hutton as the the one American. I guess I I think he's American anyway. Um, has it is is also great and he fits right in. But it, I really always thought of it as a as a Canadian show. It probably helped that when um when I was sixteen I well sixteen to eighteen I was working in this uh, difficult to explain summer workshopping process that was inevitably that. You know, it, it, when it was done, it led to the making of a short film, which I danced in, and you're never going to see. Oh. But before that, yeah, I know you can. I, I trust me, trust me. I've tried looking for it just so I know that no one else can find it, and you can't. Uh, but before the, before that sad point, uh, in what one summer we, when we were developing our characters, uh, Maury Chaikin was invited in by our producer, who I guess was an acquaintance of his or something, and so he came in and gave us pointers. And I actually met the guy, and I was the only one there 
including my director who had actually seen Nero Wolf, so I was totally geeking out. Uh, and he was just as cool as you'd expect. So I'm totally biased in favor of Nero Wolf for a variety of reasons. For anybody who's unfamiliar, the show ran on A&E in the United States at least uh, for two seasons. Eight episode first season, like a 12 episode second season. Uh, but then it was it was pulled. Not, it wasn't getting high enough ratings to cover what was apparently, a, for the time, a very high budget. Because as, as if, if you watch two seconds of this show, you'll see that it, it looks fantastic. It, it was great while it was on, but it was in this sort of interesting time of television where a 1.9 was really good ratings, but apparently not quite enough to keep it on the air. Um, and I, I want to go back to something you said earlier, um, Tyler. I think one of my favorite things about this series is the fact that in a given episode, probably a solid third of it is spent with uh, the, the three principal characters in the house giving each other crap. <laughs> so Nero and Archie, uh, uh, Nero and, and Fritz, of course, the chef, I love their culinary discussions. Uh, well, air quotes, discussions. Uh, usually he's hollering and Fritz is being very Fritzy. Um, but it that's, gives it such a different air and a different personality than pretty much any other uh, detective or PI kind of show I can think of. I guess the closest thing I would say to that, if I could think of to that would be like a Veronica Mars, just for that sense of comedy within all the drama. But of course, that's a, a very different, much more dramatic series than this usually is. But uh, just that, that those relationships between those center characters are just so much fun. Yeah, uh, and this this goes back to, I, I apologize, I'm going to probably wind up talking about the book along with the uh, the show, and that probably is a testament to the show that it chose to retain so much from the book, uh, from the books. And so um, the, so I've read uh, various like uh, little uh, analyses about the world of Nero Wolf and some of the some of the interesting choices that the character makes. Uh, the, probably key among them is the fact that Nero Wolf never leaves the house. And if he does, it's, you know, it's notable. And that he has this very rigid schedule. And I remember when I, because I, I read the books consistently probably ten years ago. I haven't, I haven't read a Nero Wolf book in probably six or seven years. And, uh, but every, and so I would read a book and then I'd probably read something else and then I'd come back and read another. And after a while, I actually found myself having affection for Nero Wolf's routine and having affection for the the brownstone in which they live and the world within uh, this house. Um, it felt familiar. It felt like you were... Ret this is going to sound really cheesy. I'm sorry. It felt like you were returning to like a friend who's just like, ah, he's still going up to those plant rooms, you know, stuff like that. And uh, and then I read an analysis about it that I loved, which was in the world of Nero Wolf, the brownstone, his house is totally controlled. He mm -hmm. and his life is totally controlled. And so, if Archie or Fritz or uh, Theodore or really any or any uh, you know, a, a potential client or a suspect or whatever, anybody who entered the brownstone, there is an assumption of safety there and comfort and control. Like the rest of the world is chaotic, but inside the brownstone, you're, you're going to be safe. If you're, 
if you're the su- if you're a suspect, then yes, you will be questioned, but you will be que- you will not be questioned in a chaotic manner. It will be methodical, and there will be like a definite uh, purpose to everything because everything in the house has a purpose, and. And so I re- I was reading that and I said like oh that and I thought oh that's interesting and then and then the uh, article said and incidentally it's exactly that for the reader as well and I would extend that to the viewer you feel safe mm-hmm. when you're in the brownstone you feel like you know if somebody starts like uh, getting fussy Archie drags them by the feet out the door they, that <laughs> yeah. is you, you don't you can't bring that in here and and it's because of the safety of the house that we are allowed the humorous exchanges between wolf and fritz and archie um but it does have a familial quality to it that like that they they are free to kind of kibitz with each other like a family because of the safety uh that they've created the the little bubble that they've created and that's something that like other other detective series just don't have and it does feel very comforting to be there and listen to those characters talk to each other the way they do and uh yeah it's it it's a it's a dynamic that you just don't see really anywhere else i i have to imagine that um it's it's peculiarities like that that sort of kept the show from being a a, a smash hit is the fact that it, it was it is kind of an eccentric show in the sense that it it occupies this space that is very much its own, uh, both literally and you know figuratively. Also, it's just it's such a doggedly old fashioned show, in the sense that there are absolutely no concessions made to modern sensibilities in terms of well m- maybe some minor ones in terms of dialogue, but really in terms of acting style and especially in the fact that there's this theater troupe style arrangement where I love that. except for oh. Hutton Ch- except for Hutton and Chaikin and and Fritz and Inspector Kramer who's always played by Bill Smitrovich pretty much everybody else is always trading roles or playing a new character mm. or etc cetera, etc cetera, which is you know really fun also i f- i find it helps to it it helps to uh, sort of conceal potentially the identity of the culprit because you know you don't necessarily have a guest star who's quite obviously guilty um although it's worth pointing out that Giancarlo Esposito turns up in one episode which what uh but anyway um so you you know you, you don't have that issue that you have often with mystery television where there's some very ostentatious casting that sort of puts an obvious wrench in the mix I had never thought of that but you're you're absolutely right yeah, it has, it has the the feeling of this is gonna sound kind of strange. It it feels like dinner theater. It mm-hmm. feels like uh, like a community dinner theater, and they'll and I've I've been involved in community theater and I I know what it is and what it can be. Um, in that like the sets, while the while I think the art direction is beautiful, like the costumes and the sets, they are clearly costumes and sets, and when you have the cast, you know, and they're trading up roles and that sort of thing, uh, it, it has this, uh, this repertory feel to it that you will often find in like a community theater or a dinner theater where, okay, this play, this play is done. So now it's time for the next one. And, you know, there, there have been, uh, 
you know, theaters that specialize in, like, mystery. And this has that quality to it. And you can tell, like, all the actors uh, and probably the, the crew members and the directors, they all know each other. They enjoy each other. They have a good, uh, you know, rapport with one another. There's good chemistry there. Um, and it just it just seems like, in many ways, it was just a blast to work on. I think uh, I think Bill Smitrovich wound up having some kind of beef with the direct, with the uh, the creators or something like that. But I, I but he still is great on the show, and I think uh, does exactly what Inspector Kramer needs and that sort of thing. So, um, but it just seems like you know the fun that they're having really does translate into we the viewers being invited in to have fun with them speaking of actors on the show can we share descriptions of what maury chaykin as nero wolf reminds us of because for me he's halfway between like late 70s orson wells and alfred hitchcock (laughs) (laughs) that that works uh i always just think of uh especially whenever we see him in his yellow pajamas or with his his coat and hat and scarf he just looks like the kid from um a christmas story (laughs) (laughs) um i always got uh i and and i believe sydney greenstreet who is notable for being uh in the maltese falcon uh -hmm. i think at some point he actually played nero wolf some somewhere i don't okay uh but yeah i always thought of uh of casper gutman from the maltese falcon um, and just, uh, but he's more jovial than Nero Wolf. Uh, Orson Welles, I see a lot of that, specifically like in the eccentric, temperamental, uh, overweight, uh, aspect and the desire to have control over everything. Well, and also just mentioning Sydney Greenstreet, one of the notable previous Archie Goodwins, Bill Shatner. Oh, Really? <laughs> <laughs> yep. In the fifties. Like... I mean, don't get me wrong. It act like it, it. took me a while to to warm up to the idea of Timothy Hutton as Archie Goodwin. That's not a that's not a slight on him. I think he's a very good actor. But you know, when you read the books, and you know that the character is supposed to be a bit more hard boiled, uh, you know the Timothy Hutton. I do not think of as a hard boiled guy. Um, mm. But then you see well, it, and you see okay, they are not going the straight up. Uh, hard-boiled detective route. They're going world-weary uh, and and uh, streetwise. Like, they're going with that and uh, always a smart-ass. And that's that's not a bad thing. And so it, you know, it, just, it took me a while to warm up to him. But I somehow don't think I would ever warm up to William Shatner as, uh, <laughs> as Archie Goodwin. My uh, my only issue with Hutton is he's really great. Uh, honestly, Archie has two methods of intimidation, which one of which is pulling out a gun really, really fast, which he's great at. The other of which is you know dragging people by the collar and or and or punching them. And I, I when it comes to the fisticuffs and physical intimidation, I never quite buy it. He's just not quite scary enough. Though I do love, I gotta say, I love that he uses period punching. If you notice that, like his hand, like the angle of his wrist when he punches is totally period. Which actually brings me to, uh, I'm curious if this is just me and I just fail at uh, knowing history. 
in one of the featurettes, they talk about, you know, that they had decided to set the series, uh, the TV series in the 50s, because uh, they like the style. Am I the only one who gets sort of confused as to the time period that this is set in? Because it feels like such a hodgepodge between the cars and the costuming and the music. The, because the, the cars are, are 50s, and the the women's costumes are 50s, but I feel like Archie's suits are have too much fabric. They're too big. They're not fitted enough to really be 50s. They feel much more like 30s or 40s pre-war. Uh, and then and then the music is this amazing jazzy uh, score interspersed with some fabulous classical music. And not just classical music that is good music, but fabulous v recordings and performances of classical music. So I, I get lost as to when it's supposed to be set. Is that just me? Well, I wasn't confused until you just told me that it was set in the 50s, and now I'm confused. Well, here's here's what I've uh, come to understand. Uh, is based on on the books, uh, but also also the the series itself, um, because there are a few episodes, and you'll notice specifically 60s fashions uh, and 60s style performances. Uh, in in some of the other characters, and uh, and and yes, you'll notice there is some stuff from the '40s. There's some stuff from the '50s, and that I think is a specific tip of the hat to the fact that uh, Rex Stout always it, it's it's The Simpsons basically. Um, <laughs> okay. Archie and, and Wolf they never get older. Right, this Rex Stout's New York is Springfield where. Like, there are stories that take place in the 40s, 50s, into the 60s. But Wolf is always the same. Archie is always the same. The world around them may be a little bit different, but they're always the same. And so uh, I think the series tried to capture that by having it not take place in any particular time. Like, there are some episodes that are definitely set more in the 40s. And then there are some that are set very much in the 60s. Uh, and so it, it's really on an episode-by-episode episode basis. And and while that can be a little jarring, especially when you jump from, like, 1940 to 1963 or something like that, um, it's still... Uh, I kind of appreciate what they're trying to do there, showing the, the timelessness of, of the characters. Um, but yes, it can be a little confusing. I do want to give a specific shout out to Michael Small, who is the composer, and Christopher Hardigan, who is the costume designer. I don't know about you guys, I love those costumes. The and just even just mm -hmm. down to the details of the ties, they're so fantastic for for the gentleman. Um, and then also, I feel like we should talk about the cinematography. Oh, and then one other thing: the makeup is fabulous because nobody's wearing eyeshadow. And that makes me so happy because I'm so used to seeing women waking up <laughs> from being asleep wearing perfect mascara, eyeshadow, eyeliner. So just I love the detail of that. But I feel like we should talk about the cinematography and the direction. There's there's so many uh, close-ups. This is a series that loves the close-up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get to know uh, Nero Wolf's pouty lips very very well, especially in those periods when he is just just seems to be aimlessly concentrating, and Archie's never sure about what. And that is something actually uh, from the book, where anytime Wolf sits down to uh, to think, he purses his lips 
uh, and pushes them in and out, in and out, and that's and, and as he closes uh, his eyes. And so, yes, they clearly wanted to try to approximate that. But uh, yeah, I I think uh, I mean all of the all the technical elements are there. It does have kind of a in some ways a Dick Tracy feel, like the very like the primary colors, like the harsh harsh sounds. Well, harsh, um, but just the very, vi- I'll say vibrant, the very vibrant yellows and greens and oranges. Uh, it's its really a lot of fun, and clearly it's, and when I, you know, I said earlier, it's kind of like dinner theater, and it does have that that quality to it. It feels, you know, you know you're watching costumes. You know you're watching, you're, you know you're not watching reality when you watch the show. Um, but yeah, and it does have, and and it does use a lot of close-ups because it should. It's a, it's it's a detective story, and so uh, Nero. Uh, I don't know why I'm calling him by his first name. He never goes by his first name. Uh, so I'll just say Wolf and Archie. They, uh, you know, they're always re- trying to read people, and you, and since it's told from the first-person perspective uh, by Archie. Um, you know, we're invited in to be the detectives as well. And so we are always studying people's faces and looking at their little, you know, their little twitches and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's a show that has such a, such a firm understanding of exactly what it is and exactly what it wants to be. Um, I did happen to notice uh, that there are a couple of episodes directed by Alan Smithy, and I don't know which ones they are, but I'm intrigued to know why whoever directed those episodes decided to take an Alan Smithy on them. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, I noticed that too. That's so rare for television. Yeah. And so, like, what what happened in Nero Wolf that for these two episodes, someone's like, I don't want my name on this thing. It's like, is it really that different from one episode to another? Like, I don't know. It's very strange. And I don't remember which ones uh, are, are credited as that. But... Uh, I mean, I don't remember there being any period of it sort of finding its legs a little bit, um, aside from a slight, just the slightest shakeup in casting from the uh, the TV movie The Golden Spiders into the show itself. Um, yeah, Saul Rubinek is the main one that comes to mind there. Right. Yeah, he was he plays Saul Panzer in uh, The Golden Spiders, and then he goes on to play Lon Cohen, and Conrad Dunn is brought in to play Saul. Yeah. But. Um, but aside from that, like it seemed to know exactly what it wanted to be, and it stayed that way uh, throughout the entire run. See, I find that interesting. For me, the the because what happened was that A and E, for those who aren't aware, A and E uh, commissioned a, a movie which is based on one of the Near Wolf stories, which is the Golden Spiders, and it got gangbuster ratings for them, which was I think three point two million uh, households. And so they they were thinking of doing a series of two-hour movies, uh, TV movies, but instead decided to do the series. But what I find so interesting about that, and I, we were talking about this beforehand, uh, Tyler, uh, the fact that I had never seen The Golden Spiders. I had come in, I had seen it from TV from the Doorbell Rang, which is the uh, the first episode of the first season, and I'd seen the whole run then. Um, so it was a really nice surprise for me when I got the DVD and said, what's this? Um, but what I found interesting about it was that The Golden Spiders has a very different look, at least color. The color palette is very different. Archie's in like a sort of drab brown and a gray suit, as opposed to the brilliant blues and greens that we're going to see him later. The house 
is very different, the set. And so just things like that I thought were was it was really interesting. The even the music in the in the Golden Spiders is nowhere near as good. It's not good. I'm not a fan of the scoring for the Golden Spiders. Oh, I, I love liked the music it. and the later stuff. Yeah, it's it is uh there is a bit of a difference uh from Golden Spiders into the rest of the show. Um and I wonder if that's be- I mean of obviously it's because they were thinking in terms of well, okay, this is a movie. Mm-hmm. It is a, admittedly, it's made for TV movie, but this is going to be a movie. And so I think they did try to go, I wouldn't go so far as to say it was gritty, but, um, but it isn't quite as, uh, there's not quite as much artifice in it as far as like the, the costumes and such. Um, but, uh, but yeah, when I, when I think back, and admittedly, I haven't seen the Golden Spiders in a while, but I do, I do seem to recall that I, that like the tone was pretty well set specifically when mm-hmm. it came to uh uh Wolf and Archie and their relationship and how and how they related to uh the outside world and that sort of thing and the pacing I think was 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 this pretty much the same and uh and then and it it does make me and and I am interested to know like what happened behind the scenes like when they decided let's make this into a TV show um like how they arrived at well let's let's kind of flare up these costumes a little bit let's uh you know let's let's make this a little bit more fun and a little less uh a little less conventional um i don't know it's but wh- whoever however they arrived at that decision i think it was the right one um because it's just uh it's so unlike uh you know other shows on tv absolutely well i think I believe Timothy Hutton had a had a big part to to play in the design of the the series. I know that when they decided to make it a series, he came on board as a producer and apparently had a, a, a was a very involved in the direction that they chose to go with the series. And this was his uh, first directorial uh, outings was on Nero Wolf. I think he did a pretty good job. Um, but yeah, it, it's. You're absolutely right in that they found the rapport and the pacing and the the relationships instantly, and I think that's you know that's probably why it got picked up for a series because it works so well in the Golden Spiders. This does take us pretty quickly into. Does anybody have a favorite episode? I uh, personally on on this run, I I only got through the first three ninety minute installments, which I personally I don't remember if they aired on any in single chunks or if they got broken up. But, um, and I, I watched the first three and then also Die Like a Dog on a recommendation from Miss Kulzik here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of Champagne for One, especially because, uh, I was surprised by how, you know, it, it spends the first 20 minutes not even establishing a mystery, really, just sort of, or at least not seeming to, just having Archie just go out on the town and sort of vaguely, half-assedly romance a bunch of women and um and and just his interactions with them are 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 just so great and the the way the whole case comes together at the end is is uh just fantastic. Tyler? I do like uh the not the I guess technically the Golden Spiders was the pilot but I do like uh, the doorbell rang quite a bit. Um I like that one and I like uh the silent speaker which is uh, in widescreen on the DVD and it looks so much better. The show looks so much better in widescreen than it does full screen. Yeah. It is beautiful, and and it does kind of make you wish that the rest of the show, uh, the rest of the show, was like that. But, um, but yeah, and so, um, 
I like those two for a couple of reasons. Is they reveal some stuff about Nero Wolf to us, uh, specifically that he is he's kind of anti-establishment. Mm-hmm. Like with the doorbell rang, I believe that's the one where he like toys with the FBI and like traps them and stuff like that. Um, and in the silent speaker, there's uh, like a big organization, like I think the the like the National Industrial association or something like that um and he he likes to toy with them a little bit he seems to have no respect for like bureaucracy and uh chooses to uh and he's he knows he's smarter than they are and so he tries to uh to not merely be one step ahead of them but he tries to make it clear to them that he is and uh and he likes to make them make them hurt a little bit uh and it's and i like that it kind of adds and when you find out little facts about him here and there that like he is a a refugee and that when he was younger he was like a young idealist involved in like these uh all these like rat uh, not radical causes but like these revolutionary causes in which uh you know these rebels would fight against like you know totalitarian dictatorships and stuff like that um and he mentions that like I was that in my youth, and that, and now I'm not that anymore. It's like, well, he's not that, but if you look at how he deals with the FBI or how he deals with big companies, you come to realize, oh, he still does have a little bit of that idealist in him. Uh, and I think the doorbell rang and the silent speaker and various others, I think, speak to that. Uh, let's see. I do like uh, – there's one called Door to Death that I feel like has a lot of comedy in it, partially because Nero Wolf actually leaves the house and Mm -hmm. he's, and there's a scene where he is uh, out in the woods and he gets his, his foot tangled up in like a branch and he uh, freaks out and he says, a serpent, a serpent has entangled my leg. And, (laughs) and he like falls over and it's him and Timothy Hutton and Conrad Dunn. And, and Saul and uh, Archie are, like, chuckling a little bit, but it's like, I get the impression that it's not merely the characters that are laughing. I think <laughs> the actors are, are having a blast, and they decided to leave it in. Uh, so I enjoy that. And then there's one, oh, shoot. I, is it the silent speaker where uh, Wolf acts crazy? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think, yes. That's awesome. Man, can you understand what a nervous breakdown looks like? <laughs> yeah, it's and and clearly uh, Maury Chaykin is is having a blast, and he's played he he has played crazy before. He's very notable for having playing a crazy character in uh, Dances with Wolves. But there's I remember there's always there's a little uh, there's a little moment in there when he's acting crazy and he's and he's like jerking his head back. He's like he's like I'm being pelted with worthless coins. And it's just, I don't know why he need the fact that he threw in worthless is to me amazing. Not I'm being pelted with coins. Why did he feel the need to say they are worthless? I, it's, it's, for some reason I laugh out loud at, at that. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I like all of them, but so the doorbell rang, silent speaker, door to death, and then, uh, over my dead body is pretty good too, because that reveals a lot about, uh, about the character as well. Cause you discover he had a, uh, an adopted daughter and that sort of thing. So, um, I think I like those one. I think I like any episode that reveals more about, about Wolf and you discover what a fascinating character he was. Yeah. For me, the character of Nero Wolf, um, feels like there's this 
great line in uh in a show that shall not be named on this show for at least a couple weeks uh where a character talks about how they uh, imagined that when they left when they were young they imagined when they left school the teachers just kind of stayed there they just kind of never left and lived in the school and they just only existed when they were in their role as teacher and that's kind of how i felt pretty much about Nero Wolf. It's like you can't really imagine him being a kid, you know, when you're introduced to him. And so that's one of the things I really like about Over My Dead Body. You find out that he was uh, in, you know, in at least some sort of uh, army and he's, he's killed a lot of people uh, in his youth. Mm. And, and so you find out all these really interesting things. I love the way the character talks about how he got fat uh, be, it, because that, you know, there's like, he couldn't, he got fat so he couldn't be that anymore and if he were mm-hmm. uh, if he were trim he would most certainly be dead yeah, yeah so it's it's just it's a fascinating bit of character uh just like a line of dialogue you know in the middle of everything else so i really enjoyed that episode for that reason um a lot of depth about near wolf but then i also really like the comedic ones i love die like a dog which just has a dog following archie home uh and uh, just the comedy of that is the dog's name Inky, uh, as Archie suggests, or Jet, as Nero suggests, and the constant because uh, of course Nero loves dogs, but his, uh, this d- dog is only here upon his sufferance, because uh, it's the responsibility that Archie has undertaken and a burden he has put on this house, uh, etc. Uh, <laughs> it's just pretty great. Um, and then just there, you know, the, the two parters, the ones that aired as a, a double episode on the same night. So like usually that's like the season premiere. I think there's more of those in the first season where it is one hour and a half long episode, as opposed to there are some later that are two episodes split up over two weeks. I think that's like in the second season, but I tend to like those more movie length ones. So that's champagne for one, the doorbell rang some of these other ones like that. And I think I just, we get more time for character. And so the one that pops to mind uh, like that, I think maybe this is one part of, it, I think it's a two parter is poison a la carte, just because if there is a Fritz episode, this is the Fritz episode. And Colin Fox is just <laughs> so restrained and it just, he's, he's, it's such an inside performance. I just, I love it. Um, but just the notion that Nero has to defend Fritz's honor, because clearly it can't be Fritz that caused this person to die from eating the food. So uh, before the guy's even dead, Nero is figuring out how somebody poisoned him and is, has brought shame to Fritz's name that he must clear. Uh, and it's it's just great. Uh, yeah, I, 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 those so those I guess are the episodes that stand out to me. Um, and we really, <laughs> as ever, we've gone long. Do you guys have any final thoughts? If anyone has an interest in watching Maury Shaken be eccentric in things, I direct you to the entire Adam Agoyan filmography. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll try to keep this somewhat short. Um, one of the, the show, as, as we've said before, uh, one of the reasons the show works so well is because of the familial quality of uh, Wolf and his, his staff. Um, and you mentioned, like, him defending Fritz. Like, He's a character who is eccentric, and I think uses that as a bit of a shield. But when he, when he admires somebody, when he respects somebody, like it comes through, and and it's fun. It's really fun to watch. And it, and if he respects somebody, then that kind of gives us permission to respect that person too, or at least look at them a little bit differently than we are probably inclined to. Um, but then I, I also wanted to uh, mention that. So, Kate, we came about talking about uh, Nero Wolf at Comic-Con 
because we were talking about Sherlock. And we and in talking about Sherlock, we started talking about Mycroft Holmes. And Mycroft Holmes, as I said uh, when we were talking with uh, Paul Goebel, the king of TV, is one of my favorite characters of all time. I find him fascinating uh, because in he is... In intellect, he is the equal to Sherlock Holmes, but in method, he's very different. And there are people that have suggested that Mycroft Holmes was the inspiration for Nero Wolfe, um, in that he was overweight, he didn't like to go and do research himself, he likes to just sit back, have people tell him the information, and he will just figure it out. Um, and so, uh, in that sense, I... I, I like the way that Nero Wolf, as a series, both as a book series and as a show, I like the way that it is connected to almost every other type of detective fiction, um, whether it be the hard-boiled detective or the Sherlock Holmes type thing. And yet, it still it doesn't feel like a ripoff. It it feels completely original, and the show especially, like I like I've said a couple of times at this point. Um, there are no other. Sh there were no other like police shows or detective shows like this. It is very unique, very unique. <laughs> I don't know if that might be redundant. It is simply unique, um, and that, uh, and it is. It is a shame that uh, that the show did not last very long. But at the same time, it got a two season run. Clearly, uh, they made the show how they wanted to make it. And some of those episodes are as long as a movie, and so you can enjoy it on that level. And so hopefully uh, people listening to this will seek out uh, the show on DVD and, uh, and, and enjoy it, because it is a show that deserves to be uh, discovered. Well, and I'll also add, anybody who enjoys Timothy Hutton on Leverage would like this, I think. It's a very similar character in, uh, in personality. And then I guess the last thing I'll say is similar, my closing thought on, on Nero Wolf, besides go watch it if you haven't seen it because it's great, is it's just so much fun to, to watch a, a detective who you get the strong impression really wouldn't do it. He only, he only does it when he has to. When they're out of money, he takes a case. Uh, and, and he only spends, if you actually look at his day, he spends a very small portion of his day solving crimes or taking cases. It's it's not like a Sherlock Holmes situation where he must have a case because his, he's so brilliant. He would be happy just chilling in his orchid room, away from the world, all of the time, except that apparently you have to pay to have amazing gourmet food, which apparently all the food that we see on the show is real. They had gourmet chefs make that food which they had on set, so they were like the best fed cast of all time, pretty much. Uh, and, and so that costs money. So that's why he takes cases. Um, it's just such a different, like you were saying, Tyler, it's just such a different approach um, to the detective and the detective story. It's just, it's a lot of fun to watch. So Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, let's see. So there are, I have two podcasts. The first is Battleship Pretension, which you can find at battleshippretension.com. There are new episodes every Monday. So the, the most recent episode will be uh, a discussion with uh, West Anthony, who is on the uh, auteur cast. Uh, and we will be discussing the recent Sight and Sound uh, Top 50 list. Much contested. Yes. Let's see. Other recent episodes involve uh, an in-depth discussion of The Dark Knight. 
and uh, a discussion of um, the career of Christopher Nolan. So uh, you can find that at BattleshipRetention.com. Uh, and then my other podcast is More Than One Lesson, which is uh, it is a movie podcast, but it is uh, from a Christian point of view. And that is at MoreThanOneLesson.com. We put out episodes... I think every other Tuesday is uh, the theory. We try to do that. It's not totally set in stone as, as of yet. But um, recent episodes of that in are, uh, let's see, Rachel Getting Married, Crash, the uh, Paul Haggis version. We talked about The Avengers, No Country for Old Men. And I think those are the most recent episodes. So you can find that at morethanonelesson.com. Great. Well, thanks again for coming on, and thank you everyone for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of The Television.